Lord, we thank you for uh, how you have called us and gathered us, that uh, you see us in our plight, you see us as we really are, and you love us, and you've drawn close to us and pursued us in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that you would uh, together and individually be working, that your Spirit would continue to uh, illuminate and show us the Lord Jesus Christ as we study John 8, that you would open our eyes that we might see and respond rightly to Jesus, who is our only, is the only rescuer and deliverer from our plight of sin and darkness. And so, Lord, would you be with me? Would you guide and guard my words? And we pray that uh, the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I was thinking about this chapter and uh, that... I don't know if you're a literary person, you like literature, or movie person, you like movies, maybe you're not both either, and that's okay too, just bear with us. Uh, so there's a common cinematic device or literary device where the main characters are in a dark place, whether it's a dungeon or a, a pit, a sewer system, a closet, uh, something in a dark place and they're groping for a light. Maybe they fell down. Maybe they like rushed in because they were trying to escape and then they tried to lock the door behind them. Um, But it's dark in here. They don't know what they're facing. And so they grope for a light. They find a match, a torch, a flashlight, and they turn it on and the light illumines the darkness. And uh, the, the camera reveals the monster's pupil dilating. The giant monster that was behind them, the velociraptor, um, Indiana Jones's torch reveals the tarantulas, uh, in Star Wars, the Phantom Menace, the light as they're going through Naboo, the center of Naboo, is that right? Then it reveals all the big fish that are chasing them and um, the velociraptors are lurking in the park in Jurassic Park. So it's a, it's a common sim- cinematic device. I'm hoping in the stories that you know and love, you can probably think of a, a time where that happens. Um, because here's the, this I think helps us see kind of, there's something in human, our human experience where we need light to live. We have to be able to walk around and, and, and navigate. We can't, if we don't have light, we can't see where we're going and avoid dangers. But also, we need, re- we need a rescue from the mortal danger that the light reveals. That blowing out the match, turning out the flashlight, going back to the darkness doesn't protect you because guess what? The velociraptors, are, they work just fine in the darkness. Um, and we need to see and have a rescue. And so I think that's kind of where Jesus is uh, leading us in the Gospel of John, this chapter 8, is that we're in much more danger than we realize. Uh, ignorance uh, might be bliss, um, but it's only, last, it's only this temporary, <laughs> it's a temporary bliss. It doesn't let, really last uh, because we, uh, we don't know um, what actually our danger is. And then when we see it, we, the, the, we need a rescuer outside of ourselves. And so if you open up your Bibles to John 3, 
Yes, we're in John 8. We'll get there in a minute. But just to remind you, we, we have seen this. We're going to be thinking about Jesus as the light of the world, uh, kind of as the focal point for this chapter. But we've already, John has developed these themes of light and darkness. We saw in chapter 1, uh, verse 5, uh, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, 9, the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. And then in chapter 3, after the, after the discussion that Jesus has, or maybe a part of that discussion with, with Nicodemus, starting in verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light, who is Jesus, has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light. So it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And of course, the, that last part uh, speaks most specifically about our Lord Jesus and his true works that the light, he is the light and he does what the father intends. Um, but the mortal danger, if we go back to verse 18 in chapter three, um, the mortal danger is not the fact necessarily that we're in darkness. It's that we love the darkness and we have not trusted God as we ought. He is our good and kind and loving creator. And we, as collectively and individually, since the very beginning, our very first parents, Adam and Eve, we have given God the Heisman and said, no, we want to live our own way. Thank you very much. And we've preferred darkness. So that's the picture that John is painting for us. And here's the judgment in 19, just backing up one verse, 18, here's our mortal plight. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, him being the son, uh, God's son, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. So that is our, our plight we're facing. And uh, so let's open our Bibles to flip over to John 8. And we're going to do something a little bit different. So here's our aim. I, I think we can learn. I hope we can learn. Uh, God's light shines in the darkness, showing both our plight and the only way out, Jesus. Jesus is our rescuer. He's our only rescuer from the darkness and the plight that we face. Um, and we need his help to even see that. So this passage uh, chapter has two divisions. The first 11 verses, we see Jesus thwart a trap. And then 12 to 59, the verses, we see Jesus' words and his claims about himself draw more and more opposition as he's been revealing himself. And we're in this part of John where uh, Jesus has been revealing himself and there has been opposition and pushback since about chapter five. And so we're in this section of his public ministry from chapter five to chapter 12 of intensifying opposition. And so chapter eight, we're, we're kind of right in the center of that uh, rising opposition. It's going to continue and get even more murderous and it will lead ultimately to the cross. Jesus dying on the cross. So uh, that's where we're going, but we're going to do something a little bit unusual. Uh, we're going to start in division two. 
so we're going to start with verse 12, which is our focal verse. I'm a couple of reasons to do that. One, uh, I'm assuming maybe in your group, it's such a rich chapter. You probably talked about the first section, but maybe didn't talk thoroughly about the second section. So I thought we could do that. Uh, and second, uh, there is a text critical issue, as that's what it's technically called. Uh, in the, these first 11 verses, there's some debate. We don't know exactly for certain that these verses are in, uh, were in the original gospel that John wrote. And there's, uh, that, that's a complex issue. So what we're going to do is we're going to start in verse 12, which is a focal verse, focal point, and then do the rest of that division, this division two. And if I have time at the end, we'll come back to division one. Does that sound good? Okay. So that's what we're going to do. Um, if it doesn't sound good, I'm sorry. That's still what we're going to do. <laughs> Too bad. Okay. So um, here we go. In uh, this 12 to 59, we're going to see this. Uh, Jesus claimed to be the light of the world draws building opposition. And so we'll just start with his claim uh, and we'll read that and think about it. But let's, before we do that, get oriented to this. It is a long division, right? And there are, th- I suggest to you, three sections uh, and structurally we can follow the narrator's comments uh, to follow these sections. So just look with me uh, at verse 12 and I'm just looking high level at this point so we can get kind of a sweep before we dive into it. So again, because Jesus does not follow a linear argument and sometimes it can be very confusing for us, especially when we like linear arguments. We want, uh, we want to know exactly where we're going and it, uh, Jesus doesn't cooperate with the way that we like uh, information to be to be shared with us always. So, um, okay. So again, Jesus spoke to them is how uh, it starts out in verse 12. And it seems like the them, so Jesus' dialogue partners are them. And we see that again in verse 21. So he said to them again, these are most likely the thems are the Jewish religious leaders. And they're called uh, the Pharisees in that first section, 12 to 20. So verse 13 names them as the Pharisees. And then in 21 to 30, uh, verse 22 names them as the Jews. It doesn't necessarily mean those were two distinct groups. They're probably overlapping. Uh, But he is repeatedly, Jesus is drawing distinctions between him and them. And in the third section, he continues with uh, the the Jews who the, actually these are the ones who believed in him, uh, verse thirty one. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, and he has a discussion with them. So there's really three sections in this, and the most repeated words are Jesus's first person pronouns: I, me, my. They occur at least twenty times more than that, um, I, I believe. And his identity, which is always a focus in the book of John, and that's where we're going, that's John's purpose, is for us to see in chapter 20, verse 31, we've looked at that goal verse a lot. We, he wants us as readers to see that Jesus is the Son of God, uh, the Christ, that we might have believe on him and have life in his name. And so this chapter 8 is particularly about Jesus' Jesus's identity. And um, this, uh, this is the topic of discussion. This is not, by the way, Jesus is not speaking directly to you and to me. He is, he is speaking to, his, to these groups of people. And we are invited to overhear. 
and, and learn from that. And so uh, this setting, just real quickly, we find that out in verse 20 uh, of this big, long division. The words, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, uh, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. And so the place is likely for this whole section, the temple. Uh, the timing of it is a little less clear, though it does seem like it may be shortly after the Feast of Tabernacles which we just finished in chapter seven. And so you can see that there's the, there are those three sections, uh, 12 to 20, Jesus spoke to them. And then he, those words he spoke in the treasuries, he taught in the temple. No one arrested him because his hour had not yet come 21. So really that focuses on Jesus identity, uh, and his, uh, who his father is. And then 21, he said to them again, and then the Jews in, in engaged with them. And then the, the narrator tells us the end of that section in verse 30, as he was saying these things, uh, many believed in him. And so this is really the un- section where he is drawing a cl- clear, sharper distinction between him and them and uh, illuminating probably the most clearly in this section the plight that we are in as humanity, as, uh, particularly verse 28. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority but speak just as the Father taught me. And likely that anticipates, he's probably speaking about Jesus' crucifixion, uh, though it may be also his uh, resurrection and ascension. Okay, and then the last bit, uh, which is a longer section, 31 to 59, really goes from, and this is the one that's a little, it, it escalates from apparent belief. So many believed in him, verse 30. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so that stuck in there, that was a burr in their saddle. And so they started, uh, even though they were, uh, had identified by the narrator, Jews who had believed in him, there were some uh, listening to Jesus kind of made them upset. And they were saying, wait a minute, we're offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is, you, how is it you can say that we'll become free? Uh, 33. And so there, in each of the previous sections, there's really like two, like a question, two question answers. And then um, here we have six kind of questions slash challenge and answers. So it's a longer section. It escalates. And we get to the point where uh, he says... Uh, 58, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am, which is uh, indicating his deity. We'll come back to that just a little bit. Uh, So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. And so we are getting the sweep of these were apparently believers, Jews who were believing. And yet in just, I don't know how many minutes it took for that conversation, they went from believing in him apparently to being ready to kill him such that he had to hide himself. So we see this, again, intensity of drawing opposition. So that's kind of the big sweep of where we're going. But the focal point for all this is verse 12. So let's really dig into that, shall we? Um, Verse 12, let's focus on Jesus' claim. 
again, Jesus spoke to them. So that would, again, probably be uh, the Jewish religious leaders saying, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And uh, now since uh, John 5, uh, John has been inviting us to connect Jesus with the Old Testament and not only the overt promises of God to send a savior to the world. Uh, he is, of course, all of that, but more broadly, everything that the Old Testament wrote about, the Sabbath, the feast, the law, the real historical stories, all of these find their fullest fulfillment in Jesus. And particularly these last three chapters, uh, we have seen Jesus reveal himself as the bread of life, the source of water, and now he declares that he is the light of the world. And so we can see that in two levels. And I love John is so masterful in his writing that uh, all humans everywhere have been created to need those three things, food and water and light. And so at that level, in order to flourish, we need those things and we need them regularly. Uh, any human reader has now a basis to comprehend what, uh, to start to comprehend what Jesus is saying. And, uh, but for readers that are familiar with how God has acted in the Old Testament, in the history of, of Israel with this covenant, especially in the Exodus, when God delivered his people, Israel, from slavery in Egypt, Jesus' claims offer a deeper level of connection because it, he's been, and we've seen this in John, God is miraculously providing his people manna from heaven to eat, and now Jesus fulfills that the most fully. Uh, God had provided water out of uh, rock to drink in the desert, and now Jesus pr- fulfills that most fully. And in that same Exodus, we are told, uh, Moses wrote, uh, that God provided a pillar of fire and light to lead them. And now we're coming to the point, There's for those of us who are readers who are familiar with that story, it seems that, we, I suggest to you, we're invited to make those kind of connections. That Jesus' claim to be the light of the world uh, is the fully fu- fullest fulfillment of the Shekinah glory, that pillar of fire and light, of the other places in the Old Testament where light has been very closely associated with God's person. Even Genesis 1 verse 3, when God said, let there be light, and there was light. And that was his first recorded spoken word and act that came from that was light. And so light has long been closely associated with God. So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he is making a really big claim. And uh, he is making a claim to deity, and that is heightened by particularly the phrase, I am, ego and me is how it, it, it's in Greek. This is a reference, uh, I suggest to you, to, of God's covenant name that he gave to his people Israel to be his name forever and to be remembered forever in Exodus 3.15. And this is a phrase frequent in John, I am, we've been seeing that, and it appears five times in John 8, verse 12, verse 18, 24, 28, and 58. It also, there's two variations in verse 23. So this is a big deal. 
Jesus is saying, I am. And when he's, John loves double meanings. And so it could just be that he's, you know, you could just read it and not pick it up on that. And it still is understandable and informative of who Jesus is. And yet for those who have ears to hear like that, wait, he is claiming to be the one true God, the covenant God of Israel. And uh, I mean, that is a big deal. And uh, he's also to be the light of the world is a claim to universality. He is not just the light to Israel, but he's a light to the world. And Jesus is not uh, then just for Israel's, but for all peoples everywhere. And I thought of the the promise of uh, God to his servant in Isaiah 49, where he said, it's too small a thing for you to gather the uh, Jacob to myself. I will make you a light to the, to the nations, to the Gentiles. And so uh, this is a claim to universality. In, in the metaphor language, it made me think of the sun, like the sun literally is the light of the world. Like it is for the whole world, uh, which is not to say Jesus is the sun, S-U-N, but he is the fulfillment even of, of the sun, S-U-N, as the sun, S-O-N. Uh, and we see that actually at the end of Revelation where he himself will be our light. Uh, there and, and there will be no other needed light but him. Um, and to be the light of the world then also makes a claim about exclusivity. He is not saying, I am a light to the world. I think John says that, uh, was it John that we're... Uh, John the Baptist is said to have given a light for a time and you enjoyed his light. Is that, um, and so there were, you know, as God has spoken through his prophets and revealed himself in, in word and deed, those are, you know, as it's recorded in the scriptures that there is light there, right? It's reflective light. It's light that is reflected from, it's not that John the Baptist was divine, uh, but he is, so he is a light. But when Jesus says he is the light, uh, there is none, he is the source of light. It's not just that he is a conduit of light. He is the light's very source. And there isn't another one. There's not, oh, well, Muhammad and Buddha and, you know, other people who will come. No, no, no. He is the light of the world. And there is no other one. Um, so, and as we push into that metaphor to think about, well, what is Jesus meaning when he's saying that? Uh, we can think about what is light, and maybe some of our friends who love physics more than I do can share that with us. Um, many of you probably love physics more than I do, because I don't love it um, at all. But light is complicated, right? And it lets, but fundamentally, light lets us see. Jesus came uh, in part, one of the reasons he came so that people could see, not only physically see that Jesus wants us to do that, and we'll see that as he heals the man born blind, you know, so he does care about physical sight, but ultimately Jesus wants us to see spiritually. He wants us to see and understand and navigate what is spiritually real in this world. And so in chapter eight, it's almost like as the conversation goes forward, he is lifting a veil to unfold for those who have eyes to see of a greater spiritual realities that are not visible uh, just on the, 
for those of us with, you know, just to see our physical with our physical eyes. So Jesus wants people to see the truth about God and ourselves, how he gives freedom from sin's terrible consequences. It seems like he always also wants us to know, um, that, uh, the devil, God's enemy is a real person and entity. It's not just a vague uh, evil that there's, you know, evil and darkness somewhere. But really, if we look at uh, 44, uh, you are of the Father. And so he's speaking not to you. He's speaking to his, uh, to his dialogue partners, the, the Jews apparently who believed in him. But we can see that that uh, belief does not prove to be true. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to your, do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Uh, so Jesus speaks about the devil as a real personal entity. Um, and so I, and he evidently doesn't necessarily want us to focus on that, probably focus on him and yet be aware that that, that is a real part of the spiritual world that um, we don't see with our physical eyes. Um, Jesus want, frees us to walk and live abundantly, not bound by sin and lies and fears to walk in the light of life uh, because we are, again, we're under the plight of sin's care, consequence, under death under the curse and the judgment of sin and rebellion against God. And uh, we need him not only to free us from that judgment, but free us to be able to walk in obedience and to be free so that we can obey God. That's what freedom means. doesn't mean free to do whatever you want, but free so that we have the ability to obey God. Okay, so um, just as to move on in these... Uh, 13, so that's about Jesus' claim that draws this debate, uh, verses 13 to 59. And so we, we can see in these verses, we won't, uh, we're not going to go blow by blow, but Jesus and his opponents, they tussle back and forth. And in this back and forth, Jesus is revealing truth. Uh, and exposing the unbelief of those who refuse to accept he is who he says he is, that he was sent by the Father. And his light shines through every argument of darkness that's hurled against him. Um, we're not going to look at it verse by verse, so read your notes. Those are good uh, this week. So uh, we're going to hit the highlight just with two themes. And the first theme is identity. The second theme is purpose. So identity, Jesus knows he came from God and he's going back to be with God. Uh, he talks about, he has God's, uh, he speaks God's words and by implication, he has God's wisdom and he walks in God's ways. He talks about uh, the idea of a family resemblance, that the son looks like the father. The son faithfully does the father's uh, business, uh, verse 29. And what is that? What is the father's business? What God has been doing all along in to restore his creation so that every bit of it can be filled to the glory and honor of God. And so in that, in this restoration project that began in Genesis 3.15, he's bringing light and life to a dying world. And so we, we see in uh, 8.14 in particular, this was a little bit confusing. 
Um, I don't know if you were confused by that. Uh, Jesus answered, uh, so his initial light, I am the light of the world, draws this charge from the Pharisees. Verse 13, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And they're speaking legally. This is in a Jewish court of law. Um, evidently, the practice was a principle that a person could not give testimony for themselves. But in 14, Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. And so what he is, he's pushing in that, as that dialogue continues, um, he is speaking regarding his own self-evident identity. Light needs no witness to it, itself. It is the very thing that allows testimony to be evaluated. And uh, as the divine eternal son of God, Jesus knows fully who he is. And uh, no one else in John besides the father, and we can look ahead to twelve twenty-seven to 32, and there's a voice from heaven that comes um, to uh, identify Jesus and confirm him. Uh, no one else recognizes Jesus fully for who he, tri- who he is and can give true witness in this way. And so um, Jesus then is identifying as a div- with divine origins, and he's claiming to be God, especially that's heightened in verse 58, which to his hearers was blasphemy. Uh, if it wasn't true, it was blasphemy. But if it is true, it shines light on everything. So uh, what does this mean? Uh, in Jesus' identity is the son of God, uh, that... Uh, we should, if that is true, we should listen to Jesus' words and take them to heart. But in doing so, this will require major shifts in our perceptions of reality. And we see that in that uh, faith is tested. Verse uh, 31 to 59, our, what we believe about Jesus will be tested and we might be tempted to silence Jesus, uh, ignore him, make him more palatable, but only the real Jesus and only his real words have power to save. Uh, while Jesus' identity is the son of God, his opponents are the opposite. Uh, Jesus gives four contrasts to illuminous components. Um, there, uh, I know you, you do not know. Verse 14, you judge by human standards. I judge no one. Verse 23, you are from below, I am from above. 23, you are of this world, I am not of this world. Um, what does this mean? They're walking, walking in darkness and they do not recognize truth. They do not know God the Father or his Son, the source of light and truth. They do not know themselves rightly and that they're dying in darkness. There's a family resemblance to their father. Oh, they have a father, but as we read, it isn't God. Their father is, uh, verse 47, the devil, God's enemy. The devil hates God and everything God is and whom he loves. So therefore, his children, people who are not uh, born of God, uh, they are not filled with truth, but with lies. And uh, we see that in verse 59, they are faithful to their father in that they're going around the, about their father's business. Father is a murderer. And then they, that's what they're going to try to do too: pick up stones to throw at him. Okay. So, uh, also just quickly with identity, we also see in this section, Jesus purpose. Jesus knows he has been sent by his father to rescue the world from slavery to sin. Uh, verse, we read a little bit of that, um, but 23 and 24, 
um, 31, 32, 34 to 36, and 51. Maybe just on time, I don't have time to read that, but um, you can soak in those passages later. Uh, Jesus came to bring the light of life and freedom uh, from sin, and he knows the cause of this freedom, and it hints toward that in verse 28, uh, his lifting up, his crucifixion. So um, Jesus' purpose uh, is accepting uh bringing light to us to rescue us from our plight and return us, uh, empower us to live as God intends. Um, So accepting and receiving the things that Jesus uh, has to say is not just thinking, oh, he has good things to say and I should listen to some of them, but really listen to what Jesus says and let it soak into every part of you and living it out. When you and I believe that what Jesus says is true, that he is the light, it means that every part of us, uh, all of our thoughts and our ideas, our priorities, the things we love, the practices that we do, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, our plans for our life, um, what we think about politics and uh, just the whole everything and everything, it means that we invite him into that and ask him to continue to re-examine us and shine light in places where there might be residual darkness. Um, it will always mean uh, when Jesus, if we submit to Jesus' light, turning away from sin and trusting him for forgiveness, depending on Jesus to help us live in the way that he says it is best to live. And Jesus gives people freedom from the punishment of sin. He also gives us the ability to break free of sin habits, that we would no longer walk in darkness. And that's um, what he does up here with the, and we're looking at our time, I'm not going to get time to do that. Uh, but in that, uh, in that story with the, with the uh, adulterous woman, that's what he does. They were focused on the Jewish leaders I mean, she was a pawn in in their game, but they were focused on her past, that she was caught in the very act of adultery and they wanted her to be condemned. He was focused on her future and on her restoration. Go and sin no more. And uh, Jesus frees us from the plight that we are facing, our condemnation, um, but once we trust in Jesus, as Paul writes, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 1. That did not come free. It came at a great cost uh, as Jesus took our sin on himself as he hung on the cross. Second uh, Corinthians five twenty one. He Uh, there was that great exchange. We got his righteousness and he took our sin upon himself. Um, And so uh, we are, as Jesus, when we trust in Jesus, it gives us freedom from the punishment for sin. He gives us the ability to break free of sin habits. We don't no longer walk in darkness. And as we saw back in the prologue in John 1, 13 and 14, uh, we become children of God. Uh, let's see. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of men, but of God. And what that means, dear friends, is that there's not only our justification, that we are justified by Christ's sacrifice, by his grace, but we are also sanctified. 
so that increasingly our lives will look like there's family resemblance, that we will reflect the righteousness of Christ in our walk, our purity and holiness and kindness and compassion, uh, our truth that we'll walk in. And uh, we're empowered to do that by his spirit. Um, Okay, so just this last little thought here before we get to our principle. Um, 31, here's the test. Uh, If you abide in my word, as Jesus said to the Jews who believe in him, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That, dear friends, is uh, the test of true belief. It's persistence. Because the, how can you know Jesus' words are true? You have to, I have to, we jump in and hold on to them and take them to heart and obey. And like more than if we went to like a tanning bed or laid out in the sun and let the sun hit all the parts of us on the outside, his light has to penetrate all of us going even to the, you know, the deepest recesses of our hearts. Um, So the knowing that leads to freedom is not something that we can hold at arm's length. In order to follow Jesus and test his words and know that they are true, we have to embrace them wholeheartedly and jump in. Okay, principle I think that we can learn in this section as we wrap up here is that... uh, Jesus' light offers freedom from spiritual death. Jesus' light offers freedom from spiritual death. And uh, I thought about when um, I had friends over at my house on Friday, and uh, most of Friday was spent spent in getting ready for those friends um, because I don't live in the kind of life or house that can just have friends over willy-nilly. It is... (laughs) It is a hot mess most of the time. Um, but when I know that people are coming, I can see all those hot mess things and uh, kind of like I'm shocked at them. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to do something about that. That, you know, that looks terrible. Um, but Jesus is like that one who comes in. Not only do you, does he see, he sees everything and he's like the, the visitor who can come over and be in your house and look at it with you. And together you agree, like, yeah, that grout looks really terrible. Yes, we need to do something about that. And yet he's the one who doesn't try to cover it over and say, oh, no, don't worry about it. But to really look at it and say, let's do something about it. And we work together. He gets his, he sees the mess for what it is. And then he's committed and, and works with you and me in cleaning up this mess that we have in our lives and our heart to shine his light in our, the darkness. So I wonder, Jesus' light of salvation exposes the sin in our lives and frees us from sin's condemnation. Have you invited the light of Jesus to shine into the inner recesses of your heart? Have you done that ever? Have you done it lately? He reveals our sins and the ways we're out of step with him, not to condemn us, but to invite our repentance and restoration. He is our future in mind. What specific sin has Jesus revealed to you recently and how have you responded? Will you ask the spirit for help and trust him to empower you to leave that sin behind? Um, 
Jesus' light offers freedom from spiritual death. Um, He came to bring light to a world in darkness, and he's going to win, dear friends. So let's pray, and we can celebrate that together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, your commitment to love us and to push into the messy places where we love wrong things or we love good things too little. Uh, We have darkness, and your light exposes that. Father, please help us to respond rightly to your son and to invite him more and more um, uh, to into our lives and help us cling to his light. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.